What's Good Friends List, episode 84 of the Game Pass Gamecast, coming at you. The Mass Effect Legendary Edition has surprisingly become one of the most anticipated releases for many in 2021, after it was finally revealed late last year. While excitement has still stayed high on the project, many aspects and details regarding it have remained hidden as its spring release date has begun to creep up. That is, until recently. So, this week, we examine the new info dump regarding the remastered versions of Bioware's Legendary Trilogy, why it feels to be somewhere caught between a remake and a remaster, and what Bioware has to do to ensure the Legendary Edition helps cement Mass Effect's future in the eyes of its fans. Plus, Drew Murray, design director on the initiative's new Perfect Dark entry, is stepping away from his position within the studio. While career fluidity in the games industry is quite common, should fans of the upcoming reimagining be a bit concerned regarding the future of the project with Murray's exit, after seeing what has happened with projects like Halo Infinite? Or is its seemingly long dev cycle a big enough safety net to help ensure the vision of this game? Also, the Embracer Group is officially acquiring Borderlands development studio Gearbox to the tune of $1.3 billion. What does this mean for the future of the Fresco-based studio and their long-running IP like Borderlands and Brothers in Arms? All of this and much more on the newest jam-packed episode of the Game Pass Gamecast. <laughs> now the fun begins. Welcome back to another episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go-to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and PC gaming, including news, rumors, and conversation around them damn good video games. You can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every Friday morning on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast services. So, be sure to subscribe to us, rate us, review us, all that jazz I tell you every week, wherever you get a podcast at, and... Follow us on Twitter at GPGC Podcast. Stay up to date with everything regarding the show, Vigi games alike, and our dope giveaways. I'm your host, as always, Travis White, aka Travis, on most internet platforms. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, Mike Peapack. Mike, what's good? What's going on? And where are we at with GameStop Gate today? Huh. I know, I know it's been a roller coaster week, and we don't obviously we're going to get into video games again, but this is still like one of the biggest like topics in pretty much our country right now, for the most part. Like the stock market, you know, uh, clusterfuck, I guess, if you want to call it. There's no real like, I don't want to say epidemic or anything like that. Like it is, it is, it has captivated so many people in our country that pretty much proves that the stock market is just a bunch of bullshit. But, um, where are you at right now with GameStop Gate going Where into week two? Where am I at two? personally? Yes. Well, I'm out. you don't have to say that, but well, you get I what mean, I'm my saying. investment position is out on the meme stocks right now. Yeah. I um actually that's a lie though because I do have AMC. I averaged down on AMC a bit because pre-COVID AMC stock was at like sixteen dollars a share, mm -hmm. and if AMC survives the way they have, there's been some rumors circulating that Amazon and or Disney um might, might be looking yeah. into purchasing them because. Why wouldn't Amazon or Disney, who literally just print cash, mm -hmm. Disney specifically, uh, as far as just movies are concerned, obviously Amazon's worth more than Disney, but 
I mean, probably not. I'd have to look at the stock floats and everything because Disney shares are less than Amazon, but there's probably more more float. Anyway, long story short, um, I'd actually AMC's... now that you say that too, and this is just a side thought. I'd like to actually. I meant to look now that um, we're recording this on Wednesday of this week, a little bit earlier than usual, but with yesterday with Jeff Bezos stepping down, I'm curious what their stock looks like right now. Yeah, I, I haven't looked, but. As far as AMC is concerned, still a reasonable investment at the price that it's at. And I'm not an investment specialist. I'm not giving you advice. I like the stock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't think it's terrible if you still hold it. Um, but long story short, it seems like a lot of the volatility, there's still a lot of volatility and high volume in trades, which is good and bad because it could be a lot of bigger dogs getting getting out while it's up mm -hmm. and kind of the the shares getting sold to smaller investors but nevertheless GameStop's still holding strong at like $90 a share mm -hmm. uh, as of like now at this moment 11:48 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. So, you know, still hasn't crashed down, but the biggest thing I've I've learned through the GameStop frenzy and through a lot of the stock market stuff is a lot of the media outlets that you might read about, or you might read to try to think like, Oh, like I'm going to go to CNBC or I'll go to Barron's or I'll go to Bloomberg and I'll get the scoop on this particular stock. Um, there's one thing I've learned and it's, cr it's crazy. The world we live in, in 2021, that Mark Cuban, the real Mark Cuban from shark tank, who owns mm -hmm. the Dallas Mavericks Pittsburgh boy, by the way, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't sell him the dirty O, but long story short, like <laughs> he can't get the pirates either, but still a Pittsburgh boy at heart and loves Pittsburgh. He goes on to Reddit yesterday and wall street bets and does an AMA. Yeah. I swear to God, like yeah. full AMA and talks about it all. And that's it's, the it's timeline. Fascinating. We're living like fascinating yeah. to see his take on that. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's really cool that he's pretty supportive of the Reddit people. And like, you're going to go onto the mainstream media. And what I learned is like, I'm not someone who's like, a QAnon crazy or an alt-right person who's like, mm -hmm. all media's trash, it's all fake, blah, blah, blah. But like, long story short, like even Mark Cuban, who's a little bit more liberal leaning than most mm -hmm. million billionaires, like he even said that like, cause someone asked him anything and the one, and the question was, hey, um, you know, what do you take about all, like what's your take on all the media's portrayal of us in this stock frenzy? And how do you think that it like shines a light on us? And he said, you know, Obviously, a lot of the media has been negative on this entire movement. But if if it's one thing that you guys should take from this is that you should realize that a lot of these news people and these media sources just don't do the research. They're mm -hmm. just lazy. They slap together an article for clicks and they don't actually look into the reasons. They just think, oh, these Reddit guys are trying to give it to the billionaires on Wall Street. You know, mm -hmm. like that's the only thing when in reality, obviously, that's clearly not the case. But right. I digress. Like. It just has opened my eyes. Like if you are someone from America, if you're someone not from America, even mm -hmm. I implore you to read multiple sources on the, on the subject. I have always been one who goes into CNN and I'll read what CNNs take. I'll go on Fox news and see how they spin it. I'll go on MSNBC and see how they spin it because somewhere in between all these bias spins, the truth's going to yeah. be in there. There's a big and Venn diagram. And at some point there is an overlap between all of them where you get the actual factual information. Exactly. And for me, the thing I've done a lot recently has been going on to BBC London and going on to their news website because BBC London, I don't know 
people, if you're from the UK listening to this, Canada, I know, still really close to the, their ties uh, across the pond. Like, the thing about BBC London is they don't really sugarcoat the news. It just mm-hmm. is what it is. Like, in America, you'll hear about stuff around here, but you won't hear about a civil war in Kenya killing 800,000 people over the last six months. But BBC mm-hmm. London just gives you the news. And I think I enjoy that a lot because I don't really care to hear about bias spins. Obviously I do because it's interesting to see whenever I hear people regurgitate information they get from the media, where they got it from. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to discern that when you're reading multiple sources to get the biases. But I love BBC London because they just give you the news as depressing as dark it is. They just lay it out there. And that's kind of the British culture. They're not, you know, they're a lot more, um, there, America was founded by, I mean, I guess this is a, a European take. America was kind of founded by prudes, that they would call it. But the Puritans that came to America because they were sick of all the bullshit in Europe, like, that's partially true. It's not all true, like, in Eurotrip when they say, oh, they were, they were sick of all, like, the crazy sex that Europeans were having. That's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. But the Puritans that moved to America, that's a big reason why in the 50s, our TV shows still had man and wife sleeping in opposite, like, separate beds, like two twin beds instead of one yeah. together. Even though that wasn't the reality at home, that's why people weren't kissing on TV until the 60s. Like, yeah. we're still so far behind when it comes to straight up laying it out there. And I remember also in Canada, uh, shout out to our neighbors up north. I love the country. Uh, I can't wait to get back and visit when all COVID's over. But I remember when I visited Canada for the first time, some of the uncensored songs that were on the radio was like almost bewildering because yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, they said fuck on the radio. Yeah. Like, what is this? But in Canada, they're a lot like uh, they're a lot like the UK. You know, they still swear fealty to the Queen, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's they're a lot like the UK, and there's a lot less uh, censorship, and that's good and bad. But mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting, like if all this has taught me anything it's just like keep your eyes open most importantly keep your ears open and it's impossible for you to keep your ears open if your mouth's open meaning if you're talking you're probably not listening so you want to be listening more than talking most intelligent people listen a lot more than they talk so (laughs) yeah exactly um and, and it's funny the one thing whenever i went up to uh visit our friend trevor up in uh toronto the one thing, the biggest takeaway I took easily whenever I was leaving Canada that I brought back to me that stuck with me, they may pay a shit ton in taxes compared mm-hmm. to us, but you see where their tax dollars go. Like, their fucking cities are spotless. Their fucking roads are beautiful. They're, you know, you look at, you look at, you know, the housing that pretty much most of the country lives in and is very, very, very nice. Like because mm-hmm. of how much they pay in taxes, where you look at the cost of hey, the, you know, and I'm, I'm somebody who's personally supports finding a version of at least baseline universal healthcare. Um, so that people just don't go fucking bankrupt over getting cancer or some shit. I, I just don't see how that can and, be. And I promise we're going to wrap it up into video games. After yeah. This, but the, the biggest point I wanted to touch on before you got away from it and don't mm-hmm. lose your, don't mm-hmm. lose your spot. Cause I know I'm interrupting you and I apologize, but I just want to say like, regardless of your political affiliation, mm-hmm. if you're someone who says they're a conservative or a Republican person, when it comes to economics, I don't see how having people buried under massive amounts yeah. of of medical bills and debt can be any way good can in any way be good for the economy in any way. No. I just don't understand that. Yeah. 
I mean, realistically, the easiest way to boost our economy is, I mean, hands hands down is put cash in people's hands, but um, or especially right now with the pandemic going on is finding a way to pay people to stay at home and not fucking dick around for six months and then pay people, you know, a one time payment like that's not really helping the cause. We're going to come out of this worse than we, you know, much worse than we probably should have coming out of it because people are just slow to the trigger of acting instead of you know what's the phrase it's we i sometimes feel our country we're it's uh paralysis by over analysis where we we are too stuck in our ways to move past to just say no this is clearly the best way to do but i have to stick to my guns i can't i can't for my party and this and that but i digress let's let's we could talk we're already off the rails (laughs) we're already off the rails we could talk about this shit all day but people are coming here to talk about video games so mike what have you been playing this past week uh anything new from the you know regular rotation on your end i guess i should say uh there's a little game called (laughs) counter-strike (laughs) 1.6 kind of been playing a lot of. did you and adam get back into it a little bit yeah yeah i've been playing it a lot more and uh there's still some servers going and uh that's just a game that like no matter how much like I play it, I'll still I'll love it forever. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean one point six is it? It's it's such a just a historic video game in terms of how that game transcended really being at the heart of modern esports and what esports is, um, competitive gaming in general. Um, I mean, I think I look at one point six really being the granddaddy of them all. Uh, when it comes to modern iterations or the stepping stones to that, at least. Um, I always default to Counter-Strike 1.6, but yeah, I mean, you can never go wrong with that. Um, but on my end, really, uh, only a couple of things I've kind of been popping in and out of. I'm still kind of having trouble like finding that one thing to sink my time into right now. Um, kind of feeling stuff out. But I did jump into Borderlands 3 for the first time Um when was it on Sunday? Yeah. And I actually like, I'm only about maybe eight, nine hours in or something like that. But it it's such like Borderlands to me has always been that game that, hey, you know, I, I don't really care. I don't want to say, oh, I don't really care when I'm playing. But like, I want to just kind of turn my brain off. Like, I don't play Borderlands for the story outside of two. Two was really good with the story, if I remember correctly. Um, But if I just want to turn my brain off, shoot some baddies, get some loot, not just grind levels, see see those numbers pop up that 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 releases that serotonin, that that dopamine that, you know, oh, you're leveling up, you're achieving stuff, you're checking things off a list. Like Borderlands is such a good fit for all of that. That it, it's such that perfect. I want to play something, but I don't really care what I play. I just kind of want to veg out and just sink some time into something. Borderlands has always been that for me. Um, but I picked it up. It was on sale over the weekend. And I actually got it on console at one point, I believe. It was only like, I think like Best Buy had it for $5. I was like, eh, fuck it. But I wanted to play it on PC just because I like playing pretty much every FPS now on PC. Um, but I played that over the weekend and kind of got into that and really was scratching an itch that... I think I didn't know I had to a degree um, that I was just like, yeah, this is something I just want to veg out, relax, not really do anything today. Like Borderlands is that comfort food almost that it's not or that guilty pleasure TV show or something that, you know, it's not good. You know, it's not I shouldn't say it's not good, but like 
the writing in Borderlands 3 is pretty abysmal and cringeworthy, like, to me, at least. Um, you know, it, it's been, it feels like a game that, it feels like a game like the, it's like if a dad joke made a video game, that's what it'd be. Like, a, a parent's take on what millennials and Gen Z are into, um, and just saying, like, like, the bad guys being content creators and they're YouTubers. They're talking, things just go viral and this and that. And they're showing these really shitty video edits they make and stuff like that. Like it's, it's very cringeworthy at times, but I don't play Borderlands for that. I play Borderlands to get the loot, to grind levels, to, you know, man, here's a whole, like just fucking deposit full of enemies. What different ways can I take them out? Oh, can I interact with this to then do this and yada yada? Oh, I want to build up, you know, I like using like this for my first run here. I'm using Zane. Like I want to do a build of Zane this style focusing on I want to have, you know, deployable, you know, uh, deployable like. Uh, ah, What's the word I'm looking for? Like drones and stuff to go attack and then me stick to the perimeter using sniper to take out people in one shot basically um so it it, it just feels such a it fills that void of just man i want to play something but i don't really care what just kind of want to veg out turn my brain off for a while have that just relaxing don't have to pay attention to something really too much like you know, I want to start into the Blood and Wine expansion on Witcher 3 that I never played. Um, you know, but the Witcher 3 is so lore heavy, which I love. But I kind of have to be in that mindset to get into that. Where it's like, I I need to, you know, if it's, hey, I've, you know, had to work all day. We have a couple games or whatever this week. And, you know, I, I just don't feel like using my brain today. I'm probably not going to jump into the Witcher 3 because I want to pay attention to those storylines. I want to learn about these characters. I want to do this and that. Borderlands 3, I don't have to worry about that. I can just jump right in and fucking play. <laughs> so I've been playing that over the weekend. That was pretty much the big one that, you know, I started with over on Sunday, I believe it was. Um, but, you know, some things I kind of want to do play. I do want to go back and play uh, the Half-Life 1 remake Black Mesa. Um, I do want to go back and play that. That's kind of been on my, like, checklist of things to play this year. Um, but, yeah, that'll probably be next if that's if I'm thinking correctly, but who knows? There's too many video games. We have too many fucking games to play. <laughs> so, too many good games. Too many good games. Mike, with that being said, let's head into butt mash for this week because we got a little bit, quite a bit of news, I would say. Quite a bit. So before we get too long in the tooth here, butt mash, we'll run through the quick hit stuff before we get into our big topics of the week, starting with EA has made over $3 billion from its slate of Star Wars titles, and it isn't planning on slowing down development for how many games it makes with that license, even if it no longer holds the exclusive rights to make them. Speaking during yesterday's EA earnings call, as transcribed by Seeking Alpha, EA CEO Andrew Wilson was asked if the company would be changing how it develops games after seemingly losing the exclusive license to create Star Wars games. Quote, I don't think you should imagine that the fact that some other people will build some Star Wars games is going to change our commitment to that IP or our ability to build our appropriate number of games, uh, replied Wilson. The game files for Rare's cancelled GoldenEye 007 remaster have been shared onto the internet. The remaster originally planned for release on Xbox 360 via Xbox Live Arcade, but eventually cancelled due to a rights issue, shocker, was brought to everyone's attention once again last month via a video showing a full playthrough. But 
Now the files have been posted to the archive and or to archive and sharing sites on the internet, allowing the public to get their hands on the doomed project. As demonstrated by the video uploads to upload to YouTube, this remaster allows you to swap between original and upgraded visuals, much like the Halo remasters. It runs at 60 frames per second and can be played at 4K, while, or which is quite a leap beyond the capabilities of the Xbox 360 console for which it was built. And if you are interested in playing, obviously we can't really link you to that because it's, you know, might be a little murky legally, you know, but you, you know you figure out fine. But if you do, just keep in mind you have to have either an emulator to run this on, a 360 emulator, or a modded 360 to do that. So have at it. It's out there. It's easy to download. You got to add it. You get what I'm saying. But definitely something I want to check out, actually. Square Enix has reported year-on-year -year growth, which is shocking, in its latest earnings report despite operating at a loss on its gaming side for two consecutive quarters. During the nine months... Uh, during the nine months ending December 2020, Square reports that it saw an increase in net sales of 33.7% over the same period in 2019. Additionally, the company's operating income rose by 47.7% to 41, uh, 41, oh my god, the yen threw me off there for a second, so it'd be really 41 billion yen, I guess it would be. Uh, this kept the company profitable, but not quite as healthy as, uh, as 2019. Yeah. Profits were 4.3 less percent than the same period last year. Despite the square forecast, the full year will eventually result in more profit year overall by 12.4%, which is kind of shocking given how much money Avengers lost for them. Following the departure of Bioware's former general manager Casey Hudson and Dragon Age ex uh, executive producer Mark Dara, EA leadership is reassuring investors that it's, quote, very, very confident in the studio's future. During the company's Q3 earnings call uh, this week, CEO Andrew Wilson responded to a question from an investor about the recent departures by praising Bioware while simultaneously acknowledging criticism over the studio's output in recent years. Quote, I think that the outside world there has been or have been some blips in Bioware's delivery over the past last couple years, but that has come as a result of them pushing deeply into innovation and creativity, and we feel very, very confident about the future roadmap, he said. And we've talked about games like Dragon Age and Mass Effect in the future. With respect to Casey and Mark leaving, both good friends of mine, we have had tremendous respect for both of them. But this happens in the natural course of creative organizations from time to time. And we feel very, very good about the ongoing leadership of that studio, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Activision has begun banning Call of Duty Warzone cheaters in what's reportedly one of the biggest waves of bans ever for the game. This time, the company banned more than 60,000 cheaters in the latest drop of its ban hammer, according to Vice, which learned of this wave of bans from three sources familiar with Activision. This is the third large wave of bans since the game's launch last year. Over 50,000 players were banned in the first wave last, last April and an additional 20,000 last September. Mike, I know that you're all for this one. For the first time since 2013's NCAA Football 14, EA Sports is returning to college football. Announced on Twitter via a small tease that, quote, college football is back, EA revealed it is partnering with CLC, the nation's leading collegiate trademark license licensing company, to become the exclusive developer of simulation college football video game experiences. EA Sports College Football will include, quote, the rights to more than 100 institutions featuring logos, stadiums, uniforms, game day traditions, and more that fans 
have come to know and love. EA no does note that, quote, while the co uh, college game will not include student-athlete names, image, and likeness, EA Sports is continuing to watch those developments closely. When Capcom debuted the villain of Resident Evil Village, this one's great. I know everyone's been fucking wondering about this. A downright towering vampire woman by the name of Lady Alcina uh, Demistru. They had, uh, they had to have known how uh, eager the RE fan base would have been to know more about her, right? With her WNBA shattering height and dominant personality, Lady Demestru quickly became an internet phenomenon, and fans were more, most excited to learn exactly how tall she is. Resident Evil fans finally have their answer. RE Village art director Tamanori Tanaka released a statement thanking fans for their interest in Village and shed some light on the matter. Quote, most recently, Lady Demestru has her, uh, and her daughters have received a fair amount of attention, far more than we anticipated, he said. It's great that they're able to take the spotlight as icons in RE Village. Lady Demestru especially has received much fanfare both domestically and overseas, which has made all of us in the development team extremely happy. I hear her height is something of interest. If you include her hat and high heels, Lady Demistru is 2.9 meters, approximately 9 foot 6 inches tall. Holy fuck. That's a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, yeah. MLB The Show 21 has officially been announced, and it's coming to Xbox for the first time on April 20th. This was after uh, the MLB pretty much uh, forced Sony's hand to say, hey, if you could definitely keep the development rights of the MLB games, but if we're negotiating a new thing, we want to also broaden that to other platforms because uh, we want to make more money. <laughs> so uh, this year, MLB The Show 21 will be coming to Xbox. Xbox One specifically, but obviously uh, backwards compatible that you can play it on Series X, and I'm sure there will be a next-gen patch at some point. And finally, an engineer working on Halo Infinite has explained how the game will be optimized to run well on all platforms, not just Xbox One. And this is kind of a follow-up uh, to one of the articles last week we went over talking about the Inside Infinite developer blog that they're putting out on a monthly basis. So inside that latest one, though, for January 2021, Game Foundation architect Danielle uh, Gianetti discussed how the studio rebuilt the, quote, engine multi-threading solution to ensure the game runs optimally across every device that is launching Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and S and PC. Quote, for Halo Infinite, we rebuilt the engine multitasking or multi-threading solution to ensure high execution efficiency across all platforms and PC instead of running optimally just on Xbox One, she explained. We used to or we used this system to transition the renderer to a massively parallel multi-threaded framework to support the increased cost of all of our new rendering features and arc, or achieve high graphic fidelity efficiency on PC CPUs of various sizes as well as the Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One X and S hardware. So Mike, after all of that, ton on button mash this week. Anything you want to run back before we get into our big topics for this week? Yeah, um, I see a few different things that are, you know, rather, rather interesting. Um, obviously, the game files for GoldenEye 007 Remaster getting online for me hits home because 007 GoldenEye, basically what got me into the FPS genre and mm -hmm. made me fall in love with it. So really, really uh, cool to see that happen. Obviously, I won't be downloading it myself and playing it, but, wink, wink. you know, uh, yeah. So <laughs> obviously... 
NCAA football coming back potentially uh, in the next few years is huge, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited about that. I've always loved the NCAA games way more than Madden because I think building a dynasty at a school, I usually would pick a school like Wyoming or something and build them up to like national prowess, and, and that's that's been part of the fun for me with that game. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see that you know they're finally coming back. Obviously, I've shared opinions with you in private conversations about how I feel about the NCAA Mm -hmm. and the fact that they're kind of circumventing paying the players. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of crappy, but at the end of the day, if they're not using the players likeness and everything, I don't really know, you know, what, what ground they have to stand on. I just think that if you're going to have sports in college, uh, you should probably share some of the wealth with them that you make off of their likeness in general, whenever they play anyway. And then um, there's a huge amount of button match. That's like, severely important to me personally mm-hmm. but um you know i'm i'm gonna touch on mlb the show coming to xbox uh personally that's just something that i've been looking for from xbox for a long time is to have a baseball game mm-hmm. it's probably been one of the things that have disconnected me from the baseball world besides the fact that we have a terrible team in our um in our city but i would love to see i can't wait to like get my hands on an mlb game and finally play it again it's going to be awesome. And the cross platform is going to be incredible for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's probably going to do it. I just can't wait to kill uh, Lady Dimitrescu. And I can't wait to watch speedrunners kill her with a knife because it's the fastest way for some reason. <laughs> they'll find some way to break it where they'll just stand in a corner and knife the shit out of her and kill her in her nine foot six <laughs> self. Like they'll crouch and just <laughs> knife her knees and uh, constantly until she dies. I, I've, I love all of the artwork that's come out. Some of it is very much should put people in horny jail. Definitely, but like some of the a a vast majority of it is horny. Just the like, just the Shiba dog, like fucking with the bat. Just there he is. Get him with, (laughs) get the horny police on this person. (laughs) Like, but some of the artwork that's come out to be like now that people have like a rough estimate of how tall she is, like (laughs) people are like, well, this is what she would look like if she's standing in the shower, and she's like. three feet above the fucking shower like just to like put it in context of like how big this lady is like holy shit but yeah it's it's gonna be great to find out those things where you know you could just fucking run over like i i love watching re speed runs i know you do too that like they're so interesting on how to tackle it because the game is just in general like built around like these games are built around making multiple like playthroughs of them at least more traditional re games outside of like i mean seven does but uh the first person perspective ones are a little bit different um but definitely re2 three both the originals and the new you know re uh remade ones but like you know it it definitely watching an re speed run with how they're built is like top tier like perfect so i'm really excited to see what kind of like workarounds and things people are going to find out whenever they're trying to cut corners trying to get these best times and you know especially when it comes to taking on this big vamp lady like what the fuck's gonna happen with it so i am definitely excited for that as well mike tend to our big topics for this week and we got a we got a handful of them for this week uh kicking it off though we finally get some news on the Mass Effect remasters. It's something we've been waiting on, something we're both excited for. Specifically me. I'm really excited to get in there. I've only played Mass Effect 1, and actually just replayed it recently. Uh, but I've been waiting to play Mass Effect 2, because I've heard that's obviously one of the best RPGs of all time. Um, but one of those games that I'm like, oh yeah, I have it, I own it, I want to play it. 
specifically on PC. But I'm like, yeah, the Legendary Edition's coming out in a couple months. Why the fuck would I not just wait for that whenever I don't have to go through and mod the whole game and do this and that? You know, cool, I'll wait for that. So now we finally have some info on that, which is great. So let's kick it over to Patricia Hernandez's article over on Polygon. It's a lot. She got a lot of information, so... Bear with me, because it's all pretty important. I didn't want to leave anything out. But as always, link in the description. Go over there. Give her a click. Uh, and make sure you support all those guys over there at Polygon, all the articles that we go through. So sometimes when folks at Bioware explain what they've changed in the remastered Mass Effect trilogy, they almost sound like they're playing God. During a hands-off remote presentation in January, environment and character director Kevin Meek said that in an early scene during the first game, the sun was moved entirely. This way, he explained, the player can appreciate the vistas, which makes the alien planet seem as if it's in a perpetual sunset. The biggest and most notable change in Mass Effect Legendary Edition are like this, visual and cosmetic. Don't expect to play through the beloved sci-fi series and find anything new in terms of previously cut content or tweaked storylines, which means that, yes, that controversial ending is still there. Even so, I was struck while uh, struck while reviewing comparison shots of older games versus the sp uh, spruced up version, which will be playable in 4K and HDR. When you remember a video game, especially one near and dear to your heart, you remember trend or ten your memory tends to stand off the edges. In my mind, the original Mass Effect looks good, but 2007 was a long time ago. I could definitely stand by that. Playing this <laughs> like a couple months ago, that. Mass Effect 1 has not aged very well from a cosmetic standpoint, but I digress. Returning to Mass Effect now is painful. Wooden faces, flat textures, animation glitches, never mind mechanical mishaps like the infamous uh, unruly vehicle, vehicle sections or the awkward elevator loading sequences. I remember this stuff, but in my head, none of it was that bad. Whenever I revisit the game, it's a small, a small shock. Quote, we've really stayed true to everything that you would remember in your mind's eye. Like, your nostalgia for of the game had to be consistent, says Project Director Mark Walters. During the preview event, Bioware compared the Mass Effect remaster to restoring a car. While all the games had been touched up, it's clear that the first entry in the series was the heaviest. The goal was to bring the original Mass Effect more in line with the success of its sequels. To achieve that, Bioware had its artists play through the levels multiple times, pen in hand, so the developer could see specific assets that they could target to max uh, they could target for maximum impact from there the studio raised the cap on textures and texture sizes and used an ai program to increase the resolution of textures allowing for better particle effects and more immersive cinematics every level basically got a paint over the changes are immediately evident in some scenes you could see some player or some characters pores skin tones are much varied or much more varied and flush with depth better approximating the faces of hu actual human beings. I even found myself making note that the eyelashes, which no longer look like a small child scribbled on a character's face with a black crayon. To accompany all of these upgrades, players have also ex uh, expanded options in the character creation menu, including better hair options for black shepherds. Granted, such uh, palliative graphical measures can only go so far. There were times during the presentation where certain textures only highlighted the limitations of the tech at the time. Seeing every, uh, every crease of the 3D model on, of a non-human species, for example, could sometimes make them look more off-putting in ways that didn't seem intentional. Other times, though, a higher resolution allowed me to appreciate the individual scales that make uh, Thane cryos. 
in general, squad mates and their uniforms have been upgraded to make them look and make them seem more real. Eyes sparkle. Leather looks supple. The team tried to quote hand touch nearly every character in armor set. So when you recruit the higher, uh, when you recruit the version of Legion with a hole in or with a hole in his chest, it genuinely looks devastating to peer through. Apparently, working with an older engine allowed Bioware to render scenes twice for better reflective surfaces, along with a second camera to get real-time dynamic reflections. Level with greenery, uh, levels with greenery have added vines, or perhaps more puddles on the ground. During a flyover of a stage that is full of trees, leaves slowly floated to the ground as smoke uh, billowed in the distance. Another scene saw an alien ship with a current uh, with a current running through it, while a fiery planet's magma bubbled like a cauldron. Ocean waves waxed and waned naturally, as water does. None of that was bo- there before. While breaking down the changes in specific levels, the developers acknowledged that these environmental tweaks approximated how they'd make the game today. In 2021, if given a chance to do over, quote, "There's not er, there's a lot of friction in Mass Effect One," Walter said. This, this became especially evident after consulting a focus group consisting of fans, modders, and cosplayers who offered feedback on what could be improved. The first game, by far, has had the most suggestions. Some upgrades you might uh, expect. Yes, the load times are much faster now, and the Mako has better controls for things like speed boosting. The environments have better depth of field, and some bloom in uh, Bokeith for good measure. But also, Bioware's designers were preoccupied uh, with making the first Mass, Effect's a, Mass Effect a better action game. Quote, it was really more of an RPG than a shooter, said Crystal McCord, producer of the remaster. So, what can we do to make that a little more smooth and seamless? A few different things, it turns out. The PC version of Mass Effect now supports controllers, and the key bindings have been updated. The HUD, HUD has been given a facelift to look more, quote, modern though the team noted that that's still a work in progress. Aim Aim Assist has been beefed up. Weapons have been rebalanced, and boss encounters have also been adjusted, although Bioware's team wasn't specific about those changes. Class weapon restructures are gone. You can expect your squad mates to be smarter, but the enemy AI will be too. Quote, dozens of animated glitches, or animation glitches have been fixed. Minigames are less frequent and a little easier. In other words, newcomers won't be stuck wading through the roughest versions of this franchise. Quote, It's like playing it for the first time again, Walter said. Mass Effect Legendary Edition will be out on May 14th for PlayStation 4, Windows PC, and Xbox One, and will be playable on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X via X, uh, backwards compatibility. The remasters will include all story downloadable content, as well as armor and characters. So, after all that, <laughs> it's really it really is great to finally get more concrete details surrounding this legendary edition release of the original Mass Effect trilogy, considering it was pretty recently announced. I mean, it was only a handful of months ago that this thing was announced. It was one of the worst kept secrets in gaming. But coming into 2021 in February now, we still really didn't have any answers on it. You know, there were a lot of questions that lingered on it. You know, while the term quote remaster is really kind of thrown around. It definitely feels a little more than that, but not a full remake, you know, mm-hmm. for a game like they were talking about the original Mass Effect, which, you know, definitely, definitely, definitely is really rough around the edges. It's really aged, you know, it, it, it hasn't aged as well as you would hope it would. And this is from personal experience as well. Playing it recently, you know, 
for a game like that, it does sound like much more of a back-end rework that has been done for it compared to the other ones where, you know, Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3, specifically 3, you know, 3's still a relatively modern game. It's still, you know, less than 10 years old. You know, it's it was on, you know, late uh, Xbox 360s and PCs and whatnot. You know, it's it's been there, you know, it's been around for a little bit, but not super old. So, you know, one, though, is the one that needed the most work to it. But it sounds like that back end has been much more has been done with that. So with all that being said, you know, with the current state, the Mass Effects in that we've talked about kind of before, Mike, does this Legendary Edition have to absolutely fucking knock it out of the park for this franchise to really make a run at it and make a return? Because we hear so much about Mass Effect and it's but it's always the good old days type of talk. It's always, you know, kind of like, you know, people with, you know, Elder Scrolls or something like that, where you talk about, oh, Bethesda. I loved Bethesda games back in the day, this and that, you know, like Morrowind, Oblivion, Skyrim. Since, you know, then in Fallout 3 too, like it's been kind of, you know, people talk about, well, they haven't hit the mark as much and this and that. And Fallout 4 was in and Fallout 76 is obviously. So like, you know, you hear people talk about Bioware almost to a degree like that, specifically with Mass Effect. And really, you got to think, Mass Effect Andromeda wasn't that long ago. You know, we know a new entry is coming, but Andromeda was, what, 2017, I think it was? Like, it was very, very, like, soon. If we're talking about, you know, giving new breath to a franchise, that is a game that, you know, that's a franchise that not that long ago had a very rough outing. So, you know, we know this new entry is coming, but with that kind of the scar tissue still being there from Andromeda, you know, you know, not to mention the Bioware in 2021 is so much different, putting it nicely, than one in 2007. You know, what does this collection, Mike, have to do to make that succeed and make this franchise really succeed again? I feel like going the direction of a remaster versus a remake is probably in the best interest of the developers because mass effect one, as you said, as you voiced has its issues, mass effect two, I'm sure hasn't aged much better, mm-hmm. but it would be like, it's kind of the feeling I have about oblivion. And that is if you are going to go ahead and remake a game like that, mm-hmm. especially in a complete, you know, a complete remake, not just a remaster, the original to me, is so spectacular that I would be afraid that they would mess it up. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the way I feel about the Diablo 2 remaster that we were talking about, you know, a few weeks back that while I want to see that game remastered or remade so bad, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to it. It's kind of the way I feel about the Mass Effect games, but it sounds like they're kind of going down the right path. I don't think a, a, a full remake would have been the right direction to go here because, again, I think it's really hard to bottle up what was done so well by the Mass Effect series and, you know, provide those emotions and feelings to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that just going ahead and doing a remaster, keeping everything pretty much the same, but trying to just rework everything to just make it more appealing. That's probably what I feel like should be done with Oblivion if that was ever done. And I feel like that's the correct way for them to remake or remaster these games also. Um you don't want to mess with the base game too much because you start to lose what made the game so important in the first place. And what totally agree. Ma- 
what it made so what made it so memorable. So to me, I feel like they're kind of doing the right thing, um, saying all the right things at this point in time, making all the right moves. But we'll see if that actually translate to uh, a a good game. And I do think it's very important. Like I think it's very important that this game and these games are quality because it'll start to restore some mm. um faith in bioware at least because i know right now that the confidence in that development studio in particular is pretty low for a lot of people mm-hmm. and probably rightfully so because there is a lot of things to be unhappy about when it comes to bioware but i think that they're kind of trying to turn a new page and get some of that acclaim back that they had at one point in time. So I think this game's pretty basically of utmost importance to them going forward and having successful games going forward. Like this game could be dog shit and they could make the new game and it'd be spectacular. Mm-hmm. But if this game's dog shit, not a lot of people are going to want to give it the chance because now you've released Andromeda that was meh i mean even you know mass effect 3 people enjoyed the game but it wasn't what they were promising they were promising like every decision you make is gonna affect the outcome and that wasn't the case um so they kind of have a track record of letting people down Mm -hmm. so if these games come out and they suck that's not going to give people a lot of confidence that's going to probably prevent a lot of people myself included from purchasing going forward yeah and that's what i I think you you brought up a good point of you know, this is definitely going the remaster route or doing almost like, you know, in some degree, a faux, a mix between the two, um, you know, a combination of both the a remaster and remaking some small parts of that game in terms of, you know, Mass Effect 1 needing some really updated textures and things like that to bring it up to snuff um, and reworking some of the actual you know, smaller mechanic, you know, more minute details of the mechanics of the game, I should say. But remaster being not only the smartest, but I think the safest bet, too. Um, And that's where I think most people, too. The only thing that kind of sticks out to me when talking about that article, seeing the part where, you know, Bioware saying, you know, what can we do to make this a better action game? And, well, people felt that Mass Effect 1 was much more of an RPG than a third-person shooter. And I think there's a reason why people say that, because they like that. I I think... You know, that's where when I hear talk of because I didn't play Andromeda, um, you know, I've I've actually wanted to because I've heard that a lot of the, you know, animation ends and, you know, facial uh, expressions and stuff that people were memeing on and things like that, that really turned people off of the game um, from that end have been fixed. But people also say, well, the biggest reason why that a lot of people don't like Andromeda is because it literally just diverts away from the RPG roots that that, you know, Mass Effect has in that, uh, has been in where it's almost like, like I was talking about the Bethesda take. If you want to look at between a, you know, a Morrowind to Oblivion to Skyrim, where you're seeing that trend almost with Mass Effect, where you're seeing more emphasis put on, you know, it doesn't matter you you know granted some people are okay with that but you're seeing more like okay whenever you level up in skyrim now it's just you want points to go into your you know mana 
health or stamina and then you could pick a perk type of thing you know or put into a perk where you used to be able to whenever you look back on you know oblivion skyrim or uh, oblivion and morrowind you are able to put in specific you know points into specific skills and uh abilities and things like that that build your character uniquely compared to a skyrim and whatnot where it felt more rpg where you know sure you know elder scrolls is still an rpg but it's very much more of a you know a uh, streamlined like action experience and i feel like mass effect really went that direction that threw a lot of you know bioware's long-term fans off and i i think that's really you know why we're seeing so much turmoil with this franchise that the franchise has just kind of gone away from what made it so great and what made people, you know, it, it, the whole reason people were so drawn to Mass Effect from the beginning was, you know, the fans who wanted another KOTOR, cool. They can get a KOTOR without the Star Wars license or at least that experience of a sci-fi um, RPG experience that you could do that. And I still think that a Mass Effect game needs to have that action experience that third you know, it needs to still be a good third person shooter to a degree, but that shouldn't be the end all be all with this game. It shouldn't be more like that. It, the whole reason people are wanting to see when people are saying they want to see Bioware return to its glory, they want to see Bioware return to being one of the masters of the RPG genre. And I think that starts with right now working with giving people saying, Hey, these games, yes, are remaining kind of untouched, but it's showing that we're we're committed to making good RPG experiences. We're committed to giving you those types of projects right front and center, and that we're committed to doing a lot to bring this franchise back. Like we're going to rework the first three games and make sure they're you know up to snuff for what you want as fans. And I think that's a good sign leading into the next Mass Effect. Um, you know where. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, you know, so at the same time, though, you know, I still think there is a lot of hesitation in that whenever you hear things like, well, we want to make it more of an action experience. We want to make sure, you know, that box is checked. Okay, I get that, but that's what got you there in the first place, kind of. People were more upset that there wasn't a commitment to the RPG elements, to the decisions you make, to the characters you're building and whatnot. It's It, it was more becoming a third-person shooter, which... Is fine in its own regard, but go make a third-person shooter or make a spin-off series that is focused on that. People want what people want out of a Mass Effect experience is that RPG experience they fell in love with ten plus years ago. So, you know, I, I think it's definitely the safest bet, and I think that bet's going to pay off. And we're going to see people say, "Okay, cool, this remasters out." I feel confident going into. The next Mass Effect, whatever it is, Mass Effect 4, if they're just completely rebooting it or what, you know. So, you know, now that we know that experience is coming, granted, we're going to get Dragon Age first, I'm sure. Uh, Anthem 2.0, which is still being heavily worked on, you know, the re-release of Anthem to what that game is going to be in the future, you know. So, I don't think the book is closed on Mass Effect because I feel very confident about the future because they're doing so many good things with this game, but... Like I said, when you still hear things like, well, we're focused on making a good action game. It's like, that's what got you into the situation in the first place. Like people yeah. want an RPG experience. That's great to have the action oriented experiences like playing on controller and having, you know, I'm totally good with that. Like having aim assist and things like that does help it. But don't lean into the action elements of it too much more in terms of 
I, I feel like that's resting on your laurels to a degree that, okay, we want to play it safe. Well, playing it, well, the idea of this iteration of Bioware playing it safe is, you know, Andromeda, and that's not good. <laughs> you know, we want, you want to tap into what made those games so great, and that was the characters, the choices you made, the narrative that you, you know, was brimming with depth and emotion and all of these things that, you know, there's a reason why people have been clamoring for this remaster experience for so long. So now's your chance, you know, knock it out of the park show, give people a reason why they should be excited for, you know, 2025, whatever, whenever the next mass effect game comes out. So fingers crossed. It's great. I'm really excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to jump in and play the last two that I've never played before. Um, you know, and I, mass effect two is a game I've always wanted to play, but just for some reason never got around to it and considering it's one of the best you know sci-fi rpg experiences and rpgs in general um hell one of the best games in modern gaming in general from what it sounds like you know i'm really excited to jump into it so mike send to our next news story here and this one kind of is a bummer but you know and we usually don't talk about you know job you know people leaving jobs or whatever because that is uh, Anybody can leave a job for any experience or any reason whatsoever, um, you know, and that's something that you know, I don't feel at liberty to talk on behalf of by any means. But, you know, it, it does set up something, an interesting conversation for what this entails, though, for the project associated to. So Perfect Dark Design Director leaves the initiative. This comes from Jordan Oleman over on IGN, as always linked in the description for all of this. The design director of Perfect Dark Studio, the initiative, has announced that he is leaving the project. The initiative's Drew Murray revealed the news on Twitter, as spotted by VGC. Murray previously worked on Resistance, Ratchet & Clank, and Sunset Overdrive at Insomniac Games before leaving in 2018 to help kickstart the Microsoft first-party studio. He is leaving to focus on his, quote, life outside of work and tweeted that the goodbye felt bittersweet after working with such with quote such a talented and experienced team quote the team has been or the team has the vision and talent to knock the game and franchise out of the park murray tweeted in regards to the future of the project noting that the reveal trailer still gives him goosebumps uh yeah still gives him goosebumps interestingly murray points out that when he joined the initiative he wasn't sh uh wasn't aware that the team would be working on a perfect dark game Murray says that the silver lining of this is that he will get to experience Perfect Dark as a fan on launch day. The Perfect Dark reboot project was announced in December of 2020 during the Game Awards and is promising to deliver a, and quote, eco sci-fi first-person shooter. You can learn more about the game in our coverage leading up to it, yada yada. Uh, Santa Monica-based studio, The Initiative, was revealed, er, was revealed by Microsoft in 2018 and famously described as looking for a, quote, quad a standards in job listing the development team is currently being led by daryl gallagher a veteran of rockstar games crystal dynamics and activision where he worked on games such as gta 4 and tomb raider god of war lead producer brian westgard and red dead redemption lead writer christian uh cantamesa are also working at the initiative most likely contributing to perfect dark it's part of microsoft's growing roster of studios following its recent acquisition of zenimax media so, like I said, normally, you know, we don't like to comment on me specifically, don't like to comment on position changes when within companies when it comes to departures. And obviously, I'm definitely sticking to that from, you know, the end of Drew and leaving and whatnot, specifically being a personal reason, being from what it sounds like, you know, wanting to spend more time with his family and, you know, 
you know, enjoy life a little bit. I'm sure, you know, working mm-hmm. in game, game development has got to beat you down. So, you know, by no means I'll never judge anybody by doing that or their decisions or whatever. So, you know, I don't want to talk about that at all. And we wish him obviously nothing but the best of luck. And I'm excited to see what he does next because all the projects he's worked upon previously with Insomniac and whatnot, I've been in love with. So I'm a huge Insomniac Games fan. So, but, you know, I do think this puts Perfect Dark in a really interesting position. You know, this Mm -hmm. studio is only two and a half years old at this point when we were recording. Um, You know, the project really has probably only been in swing for, you know, full on in development, not pre-production, you know, actual development for, you know, maybe year, year and a half or so, given that, you know, the initiative really was staffing up for a big part of 2019 still. So it's definitely in the meat of development at this point, you know, so Mike, should a change of this caliber potentially worry those who are excited for the newest entry of Perfect Dark or, you know, the newest iteration, I should say, of Perfect Dark? You know, obviously one person doesn't make a game of this scale considering this is a quote-unquote quad-A studio at this point, you know. But we've seen with Halo Infinite, you know, one of the biggest franchises in gaming and one of the biggest, you know, most anticipated games from Microsoft and really in gaming and all, you know, we've seen what a lot of changes in terms of studio lead positions could potentially get some wires crossed and really, you know, throw off a game's vision and timeline to say the least, you know, we've seen those effects of position moves like this. So, you know, you know, should people, I guess, be worried for this change? Should people, you know, be cautiously optimistic or do you think this is, you know, kind of overthinking it at this point that, you know, Hey, perfect dark's probably not going to come out for another three years. At least that's a lot of time in the cooker. That's a lot of time for, you know, that vision that they already had pre-baked that, yeah, it can carry forward. And, you know, one person isn't necessarily going to change that, you know, just what should people see out of this move? I guess. Yeah, I think, um, Obviously, whenever a departure like this happens, you hope for the best because, you know, when personal reasons are cited, kind of gives it a little bit of a different perspective than just jumping ship. Um, To me, I see a game that is loaded with talent or a dev studio rather that is just absolutely loaded with talent. Um, It doesn't seem like they are going to they're going to miss him because obviously they're going to when something like this happens, you're always going to miss the person Mm -hmm. that leaves. But to me, I see a dev studio that I don't want. I don't ever want to. I don't ever want to speculate on why someone would ever leave. But the only speculation I'm going to make is like, is this a case where too many like there's too many chefs in the kitchen type of thing, or too many cooks in the kitchen? Was there too much too much talent in one room where people started to kind of clash? And this mm-hmm. and uh, at this point, uh, Jordan all uh, or um, not Jordan Allman, but in his article. He writes about uh, Drew Murray. Drew Murray. That's that's right. Sorry, I was no, reading good. through the document to get the name. Where Drew Murray leaves, like, is it something where he wasn't seeing eye to eye with people, and he did the old coach huds, like, I could be at home, <laughs> I could be at home in my fucking garden, hanging out or taking care of my garden instead of coaching you guys. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Not not like for real. Like I don't right, think right, right. I don't think that's a real thing. But like it's just something to kind of just keep in mind, but obviously I don't want to speculate on someone leaving because I think that you, you taking liberties with someone leaving a studio or leaving a job like this. I think that it's, it's bad taste. Whenever people speculate, it's cheap, it's easy Mm -hmm. to talk about. So what I will say is whether or not 
whatever the reason was, even if it was personal, obviously we hope everything's okay with them. That's what they cited. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't, that's okay too, because sometimes people have to leave jobs for whatever reason. You mm -hmm. obviously would, uh, me being a, the person I am, I'd like to see projects through the to the end, but it just really depends. If, if something happens that makes me mad or if one of my family members got sick or whatever, maybe I could start to see a way where you could walk away from a project whenever it's not finished. But like you said, you know, this, this project could be up to three years away. There's a lot of time left. It's not like with Halo Infinite when the game was supposed to come out in six months and they have people still leaving, like big positions leaving. Mm -hmm. Like that's a whole different ball game. This is, you still have three years and whether they keep a lot of the stuff that Drew Murray worked on or keep all of it, he got them started. Uh, this studio is going to be successful more than more than likely successful that's something i would bet on like it would have to be favorites for them to be successful mm -hmm. with or without drew murray obviously with drew murray would have probably been preferable because his um resume kind of speaks for itself working on ratchet and clank sunset overdrive one of those hidden gem games that came with my xbox and i'm thrilled that it did because i probably would have never picked it up had i just went out to buy it mm -hmm. but it was spectacular and uh the resistance game like you know he's kind of got some serious clout to his name and for him to be leaving is obviously going to hurt the team in some ways but i'm sure that this game's going to release it's going to be fantastic and you know i'm still going to love the new perfect dark with or without him and i just hope that he finds what he's looking for away from the industry and right. if he ever comes back i hope that you know he sticks around and and again finds what he's looking for if if this wasn't what he was looking for right definitely and yeah to that end yeah we wish him nothing but the best you know obviously and he's been somebody i've followed for quite a while um you know on social media and stuff like that and really one of those the you know design aspect of so many of these games you know seeing where he's had touches in you know has been really really evident um you know over the years uh, once you kind of put that together, you know, all the pieces together and uh, aspects of all those games that I've loved, um, specifically with Ratchet and Clank uh, and Sunset Overdrive, too. But, you know, it, on that end, it's, you know, obviously case closed, whatever, you know, that's his decision. And by all means, you know, nothing we'd ever judge. But, you know, more so with the game itself, though, you know, I I definitely think, you know, obviously there are parallels you can draw with Halo Infinite and, you know, what, what you could see with, you know, goes into studio heads leaving and so much more moving pieces, but knock on wood, you know, this is one movement. This is one position that's being changed. And obviously, you know, the design director lead of this game. Sure. That obviously is a big hit to take, but like I kind of said in the question, like, you know, obviously, one person doesn't make a game of this caliber in terms of the, you know, scale of this title in this project. One person doesn't make this. But at the same time, though, you know, that is something that's going to take a hit. But for a studio that has that financial backing, for has that, from what it seems like, everything we've heard about this game so far, this team is very, very, very much committed and seems to be very entrenched in this vision of an eco sci-fi shooter and really being a trailblazer for that, that it seems like it's a full commitment on all ends that it sucks. He's leaving, but you know what? 
the vision that he was integral in, you know, we're going to carry this forward. We believe in this. We're going to move forward with this, that it seems more positive, if anything, that, hey, it sucks you're leaving, but, you know, we're more, we've, we've got this. We'll pick up the ball and run. That's no problem. And, you know, we're happy that you're going to be happy from what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, but I, I definitely feel much safer than I did when I heard about, the multiple, multiple changes within Halo Infinite. Um, even then, you know, being positive about it as much as I can. But, you know, you see some writing on the wall. And clearly that writing on the wall led to an additional year in development, which is good. That's totally fine. But I think this move happening at this degree, you know, Drew's such a veteran of this industry. I'm sure he saw that, that, hey, if it, this is the time to do it, if I'm going to do it, probably, that this gives that team, you know, like I said, it's probably at least, this game's at least got to be two and a half, three years out. That's a lot of time to say, okay, maybe we can pivot a bit. Maybe we have, you know, obviously the engine at this point is ready to go from what it's, it's the game is supposedly in a playable state from, you know, what they're able to do with the game in terms of a skeleton or whatnot. The engine is playable, everything like that, or they have that tool set ready to go the game is in a playable state that they could start building out the game from there that it seems like they're ahead of that, that, okay, cool. We're at this point. We have the time to be able to do that because I think that was the biggest thing with infinite that it sounds like almost what we learned. We've now kind of started to learn about with cyberpunk and the red two engine that they used on this or on that, that they were basically building it as they were building the game. And you're trying to lay down the train tracks as the train's coming, and that's just not going to work long-term. And where it sounds at least infinite kind of did that, it sounds like first and foremost rather than not, but at the same time, it even feels like it may have been a little bit of a mixture of that, that they committed so much time to getting the engine working that they rushed the game, I think. So it seems like, though, at this point, knock on wood, everything is ahead of or like on schedule of whatnot that... I'm sure they probably thought, okay, if Eric Drew's like, if I'm going to do this, this is the time to do this type of thing that this studio clearly believes in this team, believes in the vision that we put together. They're more than capable to handle this. Uh, you know, so I, I still feel very confident about this game. I'm excited to see where this game goes. I'm going to be there day one because I want, I believe in what Microsoft Studios is trying to do, the, you know, talent that they're investing in, the leeway in the creative freedom that they're giving these studios to work with um you know i'm i'm very excited to see where this all pays off um not to mention them having you know as much as you know the woes i do have with bethesda at times they're one of my favorite entities within gaming you know i love most of every project they put out i you know looking in my home office right now i have i have the morrowind oblivion and skyrim maps framed right above my computers like i you know it's it's people like that that you know studios and things like that that i just love that make me love gaming and microsoft is committed to that so i'm just excited to see where this all pays off just with so many entities of microsoft specifically with the initiative because of them saying we need more homegrown talent as well and we need more homegrown studios we need more we need to own these not just bring these in you know so uh, these studios in and these, you know, visions and these IP and whatnot in. So I'm really curious to see how what the initiatives take is on Perfect Dark being and I guarantee it's going to be so much more different than a rare take on Perfect Dark. So 
I'm just excited in general for that. And I still feel very confident about this game, but Mike, let's head into our last topic for this week. And this one's kind of interesting as well, especially given me playing Borderlands this week, kind of and starting that up, but the Embracer group formerly known as really, I, you know, THQ Nordic, which was kind of brought back the spenders that they are just picking up so many random IP and public or developers and whatnot. So Embracer Group has acquired Borderlands maker Gearbox Entertainment for $1.3 billion. This wow. comes from Dean Takahashi over on VentureBeat. $1.3 billion. That's a lot of fucking money for one development studio. Yeah, um, that's just a few zeros, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, I should say two development studios. It's both Montreal and the uh, Texas studio, but I digress. Anyways, let's get into it. As always, link in the description. Borderlands maker Gearbox Entertainment said that Embracer Group is acquiring the AAA game studio for up to $1.3 billion. The Frisco, or Frisco Texas-based Gearbox will become a wholly owned subs, uh, subsidiary of the Karlstad Swedish-based company. The transaction gives Gearbox access to new capital to help make more games, help it makes more games, and become a significant part of the Embracer Group, which has or 5,500 employees around the world. Now it is adding Gearbox's team of 550 in Frisco, Texas, and Quebec City, Canada to its roster. Gearbox will become Embracer Group's seventh operating group. Embracer Group will headline or made headlines in November when it started a buying spree. When it, its buying spree surged, the company announced that it had acquired twelve game studios and a PR firm in a single day. And at the same time that Embracer Group announced the Gearbox deal, it also said it was buying Easy Brain, a mobile game maker in Cyprus, for six hundred forty million dollars. Over the years, Gearbox has worked on the Borderlands and Brothers in Arms franchises and has helped develop or helped with the development of Half-Life Counter-Strike, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, 007 James Bond, and Halo. Quote CEO Lars Wingsfors, vision of Embracer as an allied partner group committed to fueling and accelerating the ambitions of a series of decentralized successful entrepreneurial companies while magnifying the collective value and advantages of uh, diversification across the entire group of the most brilliant strategy and design for short, medium, and long-term success in this industry that I've encountered in my 30 years of the industry, said Gearbox founder Randy Pitchford in a statement. And holy shit, that is a statement. My God, that's a lot of word salad. Um, the feel, quote, the feeling at Gearbox is that we are just getting started and this transaction is not merely a stimulant for the talent of our employee-owned company, but a prop, uh, propellant for the exciting future that we have planned. The Gearbox team has developed and engaged a plan for immediate and long-term growth that includes the expansion of talent at both studios, the creation of a new Gearbox studio, and expanded partnerships. This merger enables Gearbox to do more with its ex existing brands, create new ones, and potentially undertake the merger and acquisition of other successful industry and industry-adjacent entities and properties. Quote, Gearbox is arguably one of the most creative and valued independent developers in the world, said Lars Wingsford, founder and CEO of Embracer Group, in a statement. Quote, we believe that these resources offered by Embracer will position Gearbox for significant growth in the years to come. 
Gearbox confirms that Pitchford will continue to his current role as head of the studio he started in 1999. Juno Capital Partners and Union Square Advisors acted as the MA and, and financial advisors to Gearbox on this transaction, and Fenwick West acted as the legal counsel. Gearbox portfolio includes Borderlands, Brothers in Arms, Homeworld, and Duke Nukem. The Borderlands franchise currently has three blockbuster installments, and the franchise has sold more than 60 million copies to date. The Brothers in Arms series has sold more than 10 million copies to date, and Gearbox Software, the game's development union, has developed more than 20 titles, game titles almost over two decades with hundreds of million units sold combined. Gearbox Publishing, the publishing unit, has published indie titles such as Hello Neighbor, We Happy Few, Risk of Rain 2, and Godfall most recently. In a statement, a spokesperson for Borderlands publisher 2K said, quote, as the proud publisher of the Borderlands franchise, we are happy for the for our partners at Gearbox and the exciting new chapter for their organization. The merger does not change 2K's relationship with Gearbox nor our role as the publisher for the Borderlands IP or any other projects we are currently working on with the studio. We look forward to continuing our long-term partnership with this incredible, talented team and delivering many more exciting entertainment experiences to gaming fans around the world, end quote. So... Gearbox for me has always been kind of a tough nut to crack. So many of their titles really have been kind of hit or miss for me, though I like I was just kind of talking about at the top of the show. I really do like Borderlands for what it is. Um, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with Borderlands 3 right now. But this is huge for, if you ask me, more so Embracer Group, which, you know, formerly known as THQ Nordic, where they're buying up everybody. They've bought all these random, I don't want to say random, but like much more, you know, unsung heroes to put it nicely of the gaming industry that we kind of hear about in ip that maybe not have gotten its due previously or one of those oh it was one and done type of thing but cult hits more or less i guess i could say but you know not to say that their acquisitions were bad by any sense you know any previous acquisition i say were bad by any means but adding a huge entity of the gaming industry like gearbox who has developed and published quite a few major AAA franchises could really legitimize and justify that spending spree that we talked about in that article that they've been on for the past few years. So like now that, you know, they have the additional capital and, you know, 2K is still involved, but not completely overseeing, you know, I'm sure not directly overseeing Borderlands projects to the degree that they were uh, from a financial standpoint or whatnot. You know, what does this financial bandwidth extension for Gearbox really look like long-term? Like, what are you expecting from a Gearbox development end, publishing end, you know, really with them in general moving forward now that they have this financial flexibility and freedom? I would think that I, I have similar feelings like from CD Projekt Red where when you go to a bigger, I know CD Projekt Red was never like acquired, but they moved mm -hmm. to like a publicly traded company. Right. I think that it offers you a lot more wiggle room when it comes to how much money you can spend on developing a game uh obviously when you're acquired by a bigger company with a lot more money a lot more reach you can hire a lot more people get your game to different channels or at least there's a lot of benefit that comes to getting getting picked up by someone with more money uh obviously there's going to be the obvious things that you're going to benefit from mm-hmm there's always going to be downfalls because now you kind of have to answer to someone, which can be a negative to a lot of people or sure. to some people. I feel like that's something that you might've seen happen with CD project, right? As far as, yeah, maybe they didn't have to like 
answer to people per se or answer to anyone, but they definitely rushed the game out because they wanted to get it out for holiday season. And there's a lot of other things that were done once they went public that obviously I don't think would have been the case had they just waited or had they not been a publicly traded company. Um, So for this, I think it's going to be similar to that. I think that it can be beneficial, but they have to, the agreement has to be right. Gearbox still has to say, have enough say on it that they can delay a game if it sucks, or they can do other things to the game without getting stepped on by a bigger party. In this case, the people that purchased them. Um, Mm -hmm. The only other thing I really want to comment on it, because Gearbox is just like, I I wouldn't, I don't want to, I'm not never going to say like Gearbox is a bad game developer because I do think that they make a lot of great games and a lot of people enjoy their games. None of their games have really ever been my cup of tea. I've never been a Borderlands fan, really. Like Borderlands 1 was okay, but it was just, it's just so grindy and it's not the type of grind that I want, basically. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for me, they've just always missed. And it's not to say that they're bad or anything. I just don't enjoy it as much. So. The only other thing I really want to say is THQ Nordic, like the same THQ that used to make like the old school wrestling games on N64. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the whole thing with THQ Nordic is is wild. That the group who, I, and obviously comments, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been, been a while since this topic's kind of been brought up, but this uh, investment group bought to create a publisher bought the rights to the name of THQ Nordic because they wanted something that people were familiar with in gaming instead of making, you know, something that had quote unquote name value to it. Um, yeah. And they bought the name THQ Nordic uh, fr- that was available and have been like, we're buying up like, like they bought the rights to the IP of Carmageddon and shit like that, that it was like, okay cool yeah let's do it let's do it man <laughs> like and they bought uh the i believe they published the like spongebob squarepants uh battle for bikini bottom like remaster like and shit like that that it's like all right cool man do your thing yeah hell yeah uh destroy all humans was another one that they did i'm pretty sure so like it's just stuff like that it, it's been wacky that like for the longest time they were buying up so many of these like just random IPs and things like that, that it was like, people were like, okay, are they ever going to make a game? Like at this point, are they ever going to fund a game to actually get made? And we've started to see some of them trickle out and you know, now it's starting to become a little more profitable, but it's just crazy. And that's why like, I, I, I like the idea of them having this now, the Embracer group having this, um, you know, having a real tentpole developer in, gearbox and somebody or even publishing let them you know publish some of their titles or whatever you know self-publish that you know you're seeing at least you know a commitment to okay yeah we have all of these you know we'll cast the net as wide as possible but now we have one that people can come to us for knowing that hey we have we have borderlands in our pocket you know which might be a little murky with 2k still but who knows we'll see how that plays out but you know we have we have uh, brothers in arms. We have, you know, a developer that has been in the game for 20 plus years that has really, really had their, you know, hand in so many different things across it, you know, whether it's publishing, developing their own IP support for, you know, different major IP. I know they did, they, uh, 
they helped with the PC port of Halo Com- like Halo 1 back in the day um, that I played a lot of. So, like, it, it's it's stuff like that that, like, I really, really, really am excited to see where that goes because of how successful Gearbox has been independently. I'm really, like you said, I'm curious to see how that kind of plays out. I'm excited, but I'm also, you know, it's more like optimistically or optimistic. I'm more like cautiously optimistic overall for it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out, what that's going to look like, especially too, if, you know, the, I know 2K say, hey, the 2K says, hey, our relationship remains unchanged, yada, yada. But we'll see about that. If they could sell, you know, sell fun publishing now, Borderlands, kind of like Bungie did with Destiny now that they're out of Activision, like their publishing deal with them at least. Like, what does that look like? What does, you know, if they can independently publish this, you know, from a financial standpoint, what's that look like from microtransactions and different things like that? You know, it'll, it'll just be really interesting. And I'm excited to see kind of where that goes. But Mike, with that being said, let's head into party chat before we wrap up the episode this week. If you're new to the show, party chats where we propose one question at the end of each week to kind of wrap up the show to discuss could be as simple as what's your favorite story beat in the game? What have you been playing during quarantine? Or it could be a little more in depth as to why the negative stigma around gaming still exists and things like that. And after answering it ourselves, we'll kick it over to you to tweet or email your responses to the question over on our Twitter at GPGC podcast. And we'll read some of the responses the following week. Last week's question, what percentage of game pass ultimate subscribers will be mobile only? by the end of 2021 and endless eight one six seven on Twitter says he said, or they said, I should say 15% now that iOS will eventually see support for game pass. So I, 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 I know we kind of threw that out there too. We both said around what, like 8%, I think Mike, uh, somewhere right around there. Uh, so I, but then again, 15 doesn't sound absolutely asinine. So interesting take Mike, this week's question Will Microsoft add another studio to their portfolio, whether by acquisition or internally, like we saw with the initiative starting up their own in 2021? Do you think we're going to see a new studio from Microsoft either by via them buying them? And this isn't including the Bethesda deal because that I technically put that as last year because they announced it last year. But you get what I'm saying. Will we see a new studio added to Microsoft this year, whether it be buying one or starting one internally? Um. Yeah, I think you'd be crazy not to think that they would probably start another um, studio. Uh, Maybe not start from the ground up, but purchase. You know, the question is, add another studio in general? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is acquisition or internally? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I, I do see them adding another studio to their portfolio. I think that they still have a lot of money. I still think that they have a lot of reach. And I think that they're hungry to get some good games coming out very soon for their console and, you know, for PC and everything. Mm -hmm. So I do see them actually, you know, picking something else up. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't be completely shocked if we saw another studio enter the fold of Xbox Game Studios. I know Deep Silver was kind of thrown around at one point. Uh, the potential of that, but it sounds like that's going to be more of a, Hey, we're going to strike a deal to get your games on game pass more than an acquisition. Um, But something I wouldn't be shocked if Microsoft's really been good at getting, it seems like Microsoft really, if you ask me, granted they're going, and I think that works well for game pass specifically, kind of the double a home for exclusives. They're going to have a lot of double A experiences. Grant, they'll have a lot of triple A experiences and quad A if you want to look at Perfect Dark that way. 
but it's going to have a lot of double a experiences like a dishonored like a prey you know like um you know kind of thinking out loud even at one point you know uh sunset overdrive even though that was probably playing looked at more as i mean insomniac's a triple a developer but things like a deep silver a metro uh you know ip that are in that range that you know we'll see kind of that yeah, it's not an indie game, but it's it it's not doesn't have the complete polish of a game that would come from a large scale AAA publisher like an EA, Activision, 2K, you know, yada yada. But I wouldn't be shocked if we saw another acquisition like that, a, you know, a little bit smaller studio that can kind of be backed in that way. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in the least a little bit. I'm gonna say yes as well, but uh, at the same time, they could just be done spending because they spent a fuck ton of money. <laughs> On right on uh that's that cash is coming out of their checking account. I mean, when I say checking account, obviously a much bigger account than that. But um, that is that is definitely going to show up on their transactions this year in a cash form. Um, the Bethesda deal. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where things go from there. But Mike, I think that's going to do it for episode this week. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs to talk about everything we talked about, whether it be talking about uh. God damn! what did we talk about this week? Oh, yeah. Whether I'd be talking about, like, the Mass Effect remasters or the, um, you know, Bracer Group acquisition or Perfect Dark and what means for Drew leaving. Um, you know, where can people find you on the interwebs? Talk about all the nerdy shit we talked about today. You can find me on Twitter at T-O-Y-S-X-L-D-I-E-R. That's Toy Soldier, and the second O is an X. Or you can find me on Twitch at MP underscore Toy Soldier. Uh, nice, nice. And as always, I am your host, Travis White, aka Travelus, on most internet platforms, including at Travelus underscore on Twitter. That's T R A V L E S S underscore. You can also find me streaming time to time on twitch.tv slash Travelus underscore, same as Twitter. And if you want to play some video games with me, you could do so over on Xbox Live. It's just regular old Travelus. That's T R A V L E S S. And this, ladies and gentlemen, has been your newest episode of the Game Pass Gamecast, your weekly go to podcast for all things Xbox, Xbox Game Pass, and pc gaming including news rumors and conversation around them damn good video games you can catch new episodes of the show when they drop each and every friday morning on youtube apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify soundcloud and all other major podcast services so be sure to subscribe to us rate us review us all that jazz wherever you get a podcast that and follow us on twitter at gpgc podcast stay up to date with everything regarding the show video games like in our dope giveaways with that being said, Mike, that's going to do it for our episode this week. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, sharing, and being a part of our growing community. Game on. Wash your hands. Listen to the doctors. Black Lives Matter. And we will see you next week.